This morning we are celebrating Easter, which marks the resurrection of, of Jesus. And when Jesus taught about the resurrection, he used all sorts of everyday analogies. One day he said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, new life cannot emerge. Now, I've been very interested lately in, uh, in astronomy and looking at stars and watching some, some docos on that. And I, 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 um, I, I saw a really neat cosmic example of Jesus' analogy, which I want to show you now. So here we have it as a giant star. And I learned this, uh, this was uh, a doco by a guy called Brian Cox. And um, you've got this giant star. And, and I learned, exclude, excuse my ignorance if you already knew this, but, but, uh, but I learned that stars are giant furnaces. And in the inside of these furnaces, all these nuclear reactions are taking place. And, on, on, and of the good sort, not the sort that we've been hearing in the news lately, uh, but nuclear reactions taking place. And as these nuclear reactions take place, different particles and elements are formed on the inside of a star. So you get you know, different elements and over the course of the life of a star, depending on how big it is, you get uh, oxygen and carbon and, and you get these other elements and they f it forms in layers inside of the star. The thing is, a star balances itself between the gravity pushing upon it and the force of itself pushing outwards and one day as the fuel starts to diminish, this balance snaps and the star explodes in some of the biggest explosions you'll ever see. And, and so we have these massive supernova explosions and all the stuff that was forged inside the star is then scattered across the universe in these giant clouds that you can see in the, in the sky uh, with the right equipment that are literally light years and light years in distance across. And inside, and, and, and part of that, of, you know, this big explosion is all this, this nutrients, you might say, all this stuff needed for life, and then planets and galaxies and all this amazing, wonderful stuff of God's creation is formed through the death of a star. And I watched that and I, was just, I just saw God's fingerprints all over that and thought, wow, everything we see around us, everything that God has created, all our fingers and our toes and, you know, the world around us, is all possible because of the death of a star. Oh, that was kind of cool and kind of like a cosmic example of a seed in the ground. And so, yeah, that's just my musings. But I do want to talk about the resurrection this morning. I want to talk about new creation and birth of, of, of explosion of, of new life. And I want to do that by studying a few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, so you can flick there while, while I explain where we're going to go today. First of all, this morning, what I want to do is I want to, get, I want to, I want to give you a, uh, an encouragement that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historically defensible fact. Not fairy tale, not myth, but something that you can firmly base your faith on. I then want to talk about our own hope as Christians that one day we too will be raised to new life with resurrected bodies just like Jesus was. And then I want to ask the, answer the question, well, what's, so what? You know, what's the big deal? How does this relate to me in my everyday life, looking after my families and going to work? You know, what is it going to mean for me when I walk out that door? So all going well, that's where we'll be going this morning. Now, let's read our passage, and I just want to do what I like to do naturally best, which is just to work through a passage and unpick some stuff from it. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
onwards. Uh, sorry, chapter 15, 20 to 22 and 58. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Later in the chapter, he caps it off by saying, Therefore, my beloved brothers and your insert ancestors, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. In this passage in 1 Corinthians, Paul is responding to some in the church in Corinth, which is a Roman city, he is responding to some in the church who have rejected the idea of a future resurrection for God's people. Because they, like us, know that when people die, they stay dead. Right? They don't come back. That was their cultural worldview, you might say. But an added pressure onto their worldview was also that they lived in a Greek-Roman society and culture. And that worldview was influenced by a guy called Plato, who basically thought that everything material around you that you can touch and feel and pick up, everything around you is, is decaying and, 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 and rotting and rusting, therefore the material is bad. But everything that is spiritual that you cannot see is eternal and is, 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 uh, you know, is, is therefore good. And therefore in the Greek-Roman worldview, the goal of life was to escape the material, bad, and you know, escape to this spiritual eternity. And therefore, the idea of resurrection was ludicrous because why would you ever want to go back to physical, a physical bodily life because you've just done the best thing you could ever done, which was escape it. Paul says, no, Jesus rose from the dead into a physical body and therefore, we will all rise from death into physical life. In his mind, the two concepts are so closely linked that they're inseparable. You can't take one without the other. Because in his mind, they are two acts of the same grand, glorious plan of God's renewal and redemption of all creation. And we need to be a little bit careful that our gospel does not slip into that sort of platonic worldview that it's all about just escaping this bodily life and embracing, you know, uh, a disembodied bliss in heaven. Now, hold, stay with me, okay? Uh, because this flies in the face sometimes of what we were taught. So we're going to work through. First of all, let's start with Jesus' resurrection. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. In fact. Paul says fact. In today's age, we kind of forget what a fact is. You know, it's all about alternative facts, isn't it? You know, about, uh, is that a fact or an alternative fact? What is truth, says Pilate? Well, a fact is quite simply something that is known or proven to be true. And Paul says this, Jesus died, very much dead, was buried, and then on the third day was raised to new bodily life. He can say that is fact. I read an article in the BBC that said 25% of Christians in the UK no longer believe in the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
But here the word of God teaches, clearly encourages us and teaches us that it is a fact. And that's my job this morning is to encourage you. Because the resurrection, this, this is a cornerstone of Christian belief. And it's something that we can place and, and base our faith in as a defensible fact. Now, I've been feeding myself lately, and it's good to, good to read books, it's good to watch videos, it's good to, to read the scriptures, stuff that feeds you in this sort of thing. And so I'm going to suggest a few resources for you. Uh, anything written by a guy called N.T. Wright about the resurrection is fantastic. And I want to recommend a book to you called Surprised by Hope. And hopefully this morning, I'm going to surprise you with some hope too, and that's what it's all about. So I'd recommend that book to you if, you've, if uh, it's a great entry-level book on that. Another person I've been really inspired by lately is a guy called John Lennox. Now, John Lennox is kind of like a, in the mould of C.S. Lewis, and he actually attended his lectures uh, in Cambridge. Uh, John Lennox is a uh, pure mathematician, uh, he's a philosopher of science, very smart, intelligible guy, and he's also a very good debater and very entertaining to watch. And I felt so inspired watching him debate the likes of Richard Dawkins and other prominent atheistic thinkers in today's world, and champion the, the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection as evidence for God's existence. Here's this guy, well respected in the scientific community, saying, what about the resurrection? And that just, well, you know, that just got me a bit excited, and I thought, wow, I want a confidence like that more and more. John Lennox would say, very roughly paraphrased, this isn't a quote, that faith in Christ is not a blind faith, you know. It's a reasoned faith based on evidence. John's Gospel says, I wrote you these things that you may believe. I wrote you this evidence that you may base your faith upon it. And the resurrection of Jesus is the key, or the, you know, the, the key uh, evidence for our faith. Wow, I get excited by that. Now, what I can't do this morning is give all of the, you know, the proofs of the resurrection and talk about why you know, it couldn't have been a fabrication over time and, and uh, you know, why uh, the worldviews and you know, this and that and the first witnesses and so on. I can't, we can't go through all of that, but what I want to do is expose you to this truth that the resurrection is a historical fact and invite you to go on the journey yourself to make this discovery and decide not blindly but based on faith that Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead. And I just want to do a little plug here the Alpha Course is a great place to do this. I love the Alpha Courses, and with Tim and Sally at the helm, you just can't go wrong. They'll create a relaxed environment. Uh, they're also really good chefs, and um, put on great food. I'm sure there'll be food there. Will there be food there? There'll be food there. That's good. Um, and but I remember sitting on the Alpha Course, and it's, it's a great environment to uh, to discuss and explore the claims of the Christian faith. And, of course, the resurrection being one of the key ones. So whether you're sitting there and you're not sure about this or you know someone who would like to discuss it, hey, we'll just a little bit of a plug here. This is a great place to do that. So I want to uh, just finish off this little section uh, of, of my preach with, with a couple of paragraphs from a book called The Reason for God. And then I'm going to leave you to the journey of finding these discoveries for yourself. It is not enough for the sceptic to simply dismiss the Christian teaching about the resurrection of Jesus by saying it just couldn't have happened. He or she must face and answer all of the following historical questions. 
Why did Christianity emerge so rapidly with such power? No other band of messianic followers in that era concluded that their killed leader was raised from the dead. Why did this group do so? No group of Jews ever worshipped a human being as God. What led them to do it? Jews did not believe in divine men or individual resurrections. What changed their entire worldview virtually overnight? How do you account for the hundreds of eyewitnesses to the resurrection who lived on for decades and publicly maintained their testimony, eventually giving their lives for their belief? Nothing in history can be proven the way we can prove something in a laboratory. However, the resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact much more fully attested to than most other events of ancient history we take for granted. Every effort to account for the birth of the church apart from Jesus' resurrection flies in the face of everything we know about first century history and culture. He goes on to encourage people not to short-circuit the whole process of investigating for yourself simply on the basis that miracles don't happen. And I want to encourage you this morning as well. Be confident that, that, that it is a fact that you can defend that Jesus rose from the dead. And it is a historical fact that you can base your faith upon. Amen? So that's the first section. We move on. Jesus has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Hopefully there's no one fallen asleep here this morning, right? For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now I'll, be, I'll put my hand up and be the first to say, it's probably only in this church environment that you're ever going to read a sentence like, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You know, it's sort of a, an odd sentence, isn't it? What is it talking about, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep? Well, what Paul is saying is that what happened to Jesus models what will happen to you in Christ, and this is what you can expect. Now, if I went to a tree, I don't know much about growing fruit or vegetables. I kind of just, we just do it as a, a bit of a novelty in our garden. And if anyone actually knew how to grow tomatoes, you're probably horrified at our plant growing in the back there. But, uh, but there we have it. We go to this tree, and it's got one fruit on it. And uh, I like eating fruit, so I pick this, let's say, a plum. Oh, munch. None left. I come back a week later. I'm not going to go back to the same tree and expect to see a banana or an orange or an apple. No, because the first fruit was a plum. So I can expect all the other fruits to be plums, all right? He's saying what happened to Jesus will happen to us. So it's important that we understand what happened to Jesus. What happened to him? Well, like I said before, he died, he was buried, and then he was raised to new life. Now, he wasn't resuscitated as if he was half dead. He wasn't raised to life that he might die again like others that happened to in the Bible. No, he was raised to a new physical body, bodily life that was glorious and that was freed from death and sin and corruption. But it was still very much a physical body. Now, listen to this very carefully. The resurrection is not going to heaven when we die. The resurrection, as N.T. Wright would say, is not life after death, it's life after life after death. 
Resurrection is about new creation and a renewing of our bodies. Because that's exactly what happened to Jesus. Uh, N.T. Wright has a rather cheeky and provoking comment that says, Heaven is important, but it's not the end of the world. <laughs> now, the Bible clearly teaches that there will be some interim state after you die where you'll be in paradise, paradise, like Jesus says to the man on the cross. But that is not it. There is a bigger story of redemption taking place. Jesus is the first fruits of all of those who have died, raised to new bodily life. You see, the Jewish worldview that Christianity was birthed out from was that God created this world and that he placed man in the world to rule and to govern and to reign. And he called this setup good. He actually called it very good. Not very bad like the Greeks would say. He said, good. This is good. I made it. But through man's own decision and sin, they wrecked it and they wrecked themselves. But listen, the solution in that worldview was not to escape it, but that one day God would renew it and redeem it. The Jewish hope was for a great restoration and the resurrection of God's people was part of that story. That was the great Jewish hope. And do you know Romans chapter 8 teaches us and makes it very clear that that's still the Christian hope and what the early Christians believed. Romans, the book of Romans, the clearest and most clearly laid out presentation of the gospel. Chapter 8, the pinnacle of that great book, says this, Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to being wrapped up and thrown in the bin and never seen it. No, oh, sorry, no. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believe it's also grown, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Restoration, renewal, glorious hope, raised from death. That is the full picture of God's great plan for us. Now you've made it this far with me, so a little, uh, little interlude. This is a job, this is my very first job as a site manager in a construction firm uh, that, I, that I built uh, on Taranaki Street in Courtney Place in town. Sells very good pizza if, you, if you're interested. Now, when I arrived day one on this job, this place was a mess. It was disgusting. It used to be a, a public uh, toilet. It was 100 years old. Hadn't been used in 10 years because it was used for all sorts of other dubious reasons. Uh, and, and here they were, they shut it down, and you looked at it and you think, man, this place just needs to be bulldozed. It's decayed, it's rotten, it's disgusting. But the heritage people saw value in it, and they said, no, we don't want to destroy it or wipe it clean. We want to restore it. We want to renew it. And so I had the glorious task of rolling my sleeves up and you know, ripping all the stuff off the walls and water blasting everything. And you know, I still have thoughts about it now. 
But we did a great job. We did a great job. We filled in the floor so it wasn't so you know, dark and seedy and we ripped open the roof and let light in and we restored the brickwork and these beautiful iron wrought gates and <laughs> grills that we restored and put back as part of the new thing. And if you, if you walk past it now, it wasn't that we just wiped it clean. No, no, it's, it's a new creation. It's, 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 you still see the old, but it's gloriously new. And that is a picture of God's plan. You see, God, as the heritage you know, expert, says, no, I'm not just going to wipe this creation clean. Because if he was going to do that, we would have all been gone long ago as well. Um, I'm going to restore it. I'm going to renew it. And I'm going to use my people as part of that plan. That is the hope. That is the biblical hope of, of resurrection. Uh, and, uh, and I think it's a good little example. And it also sells great pizza for a small price. Um, so if you ever walk in, in that area, Courtney Place, Tar uh, Taranaki Street, go and enjoy a slice. So, yeah, another shameless plug. <laughs> I don't have shares. I got free pizza for a week, and then after two weeks, I, I turned up and they started asking me to pay for it. And I said, "Don't you know I built this place?" <laughs> so, <laughs> now we ask the question. We come to the final question: Why does this all matter? What's the big deal? When I walk out the door, new creation, resurrection life, so what? I think this is the most important question. The answer to that question goes something like this. The long-awaited renewal of all things, this new creation, the reversal of damage done from human sin, has actually already begun. Act number one, Jesus rising from the dead. That is the start of new creation, and we are living in those days. You see, the Jews thought, bang, it was all going to come at once. Paul says, no, it's a sequence thing, and Jesus is the first fruit of that story. You read John's Gospel as homework. How does John's Gospel begin? In the beginning. So straight away, we know that we're reading some sort of creation narrative, you know, just like Genesis says, in the beginning. And then commentators will tell you that there's seven miracles and signs which they think are pretty clearly to uh, mirror the seven days of creation. And then what happens on the eighth day? On the first day of the week, Christ rises from the dead. On the first day of the week. John makes it very clear that Jesus' resurrection is the first act in new creation. Paul says, you as part of that story, are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. That's not just random selection of words that Paul used. Paul is thinking about this story, that you are part of God's new creation. Now, as new creations ourselves, we are agents of new, that new creation process. Therefore, this is the big therefore, this is why it matters when you walk out the door, there's work to be done. There's work to be done. We are God's children in his family, and we're part of the family business. And he's in the business of restoring all of creation. There is work to be done, work of new creation. There's work in our communities, there's work in our schools, in our families, in the universities, there's work in the, in the marketplace, there's work all over the place to be done, wherever God has called you to be. You have great purpose in God's story because he has set aside good works for you to do since before the creation of the world. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Now, 
We teach about good works sometimes to make us feel good about ourselves, that we have some meaning and purpose in our life. And, and that is true, but it's not just purpose for purpose's sake. It's about partaking in God's great story of new creation. And you pay, as a Christian, you play a part in that. 57 long verses defending and explaining the resurrection, Paul says this, Therefore be steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. I'll be honest, I've read a bit of N.T. Wright over the years, and one of my biggest reactions when he starts talking about new creation and explaining the gospel in this way, I think, well, it kind of seems like it's in vain. Look around the world. There's so much suffering. There's so much destruction. What effort will my little work actually play? You, you kind of feel like the voter, you know? Why should I vote? Will it really change the election? You know, why should I buy an electric car? Why should I turn off my toaster? You know, will it really make a difference to global warming? We can feel so small and insignificant. It can feel like it's in vain. And then top on, top on that, sometimes we get told, and what's the big deal anyway? Because this earth's going to get wrapped up and thrown in the bin and we're going to escape to heaven. That can leave us just feeling completely defeated. Why start? Are you sure that my efforts are going to make any kind of difference? Well, Paul says that a correct understanding of the resurrection, both Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection, gives us hope that this is not the case. In my mind, at least, you might find this encouraging. I try not to think about you know, whether my vote will make a difference, but I get excited that I get to be involved at all. That in some way, my small effort is part of God's bigger plan, and that he has created me for a purpose, and that I can fulfill that purpose. Now, because Jesus started the whole process off, we can just trust him that he's the grand designer of all things and that his, it is his act of redemption. It's his act of new creation. But our future resurrection says that we have a part to play and that our work does count for something. And I don't want to be like the guy at the end of my life who comes before God and I find that I've just buried my talents and done nothing with them. I want to say, I want to be welcomed in by the Father who says, well, well done, my son. You've played your part. Even though it might have seemed small in some mysterious way, what you do now is part of this grand new creation story. So we don't disengage. We don't sit in the bunker. You know, it's not just about escaping to heaven when we die. No, no, we engage with the world. We bring healing. We bring restoration. Governments out there still think that the, response, the right response is to drop the mother of all bombs on problems. No, we engage with love, with innovation, with real justice, with the message of the cross, and we bubble with this new creation life as we do it. We engage with people. Yes, it's still very much about seeing people saved, about them being brought into a faith in Christ, but not just that they'll be snatched and whisked away at the end of their life, but that they will also be ushered into this new story of new creation. And we are interested in their whole well-being, their whole life. We are interested in how we do business. We are interested in how we do life. We are interested in, in how we study and what we learn and all these things. It's, it's, when I get lost in the story of God's new creation, <laughs> my whole life starts to make more sense as opposed to just the physical, spiritual side of me and what I do with the other 95% of my time, you know? No, no, it's God's whole story of new creation.
So I just want to finish now with a quick quote. I've probably left you enough to think about, but here's a little bit more. The message of the resurrection is that this world matters. The injustices, the pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news that healing, justice and love have won. If Easter means Jesus is only raised in some spiritual sense, then it's only about me and finding a new dimension in my personal spiritual life. But if Jesus is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good practical news for the whole world. Easter means in a world where injustice and violence and so on are everywhere, God is not, to, is not prepared to tolerate such things and that we will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement the victory of Jesus over them all. That gets me excited and I hope it does you too. So why don't we stand?